everyone, it is April 2021. I can't believe how quickly time has flown by. As we sort of think through what we're gonna do after vaccination, we also wanted to give you some updates on some of the movies and shows that we watched in the last couple of weeks. I know it's been a while, so. Janet, what are some of the shows that you've been watching recently? Yeah, so I've been watching a bunch of movies. I've been watching a few dramas, not as much. So I think this time around, we're actually gonna talk more about American TV shows and American movies versus K-dramas, but we do have a couple. Yeah, maybe we start with the movies. So the most recent one that I watched was Emma on HBO Max. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. And I know when we texted, you said you liked it a lot too. So figured we could discuss that and our reactions to everything and what we liked about it. I guess I'll start with just saying, so I was not a huge fan of Anya Taylor-Joy in The Queen's Gambit, partly because I didn't really like The Queen's Gambit as we went through in that episode when we talked about it. I thought she was fine in that, but you know, her character, I think, just had me really cold. It felt like she just soaked a lot in that drama, so I didn't really get to see like the range of warmth and like characterization I felt that she could bring in. I felt like Emma was a nice contrast to that. Well, first of all, I like that she's the right age for that role. Mm -hmm. I think that's key for me is when these movies are cast appropriately in terms of how the characters are supposed to be. It really bothers me when characters or actors play like 10 years older or younger. So she's actually like, I guess, 22 probably when she did that film. And the character of Emma starts out 21. And then I also liked how uh, Johnny Flynn, I believe, who's the main lead who plays uh, Mr. Knightley. So he is actually 37, which I was Mm. so surprised by. It's a little inappropriate. I mean, but (laughs) it's like a very big age gap, like 16 years, but that is actually what the book has. Yes. And so in that sense, it was very true to the book, which I thought was really good. And, you know, they managed to cast actors who, despite the big age gap, had chemistry together. And that was probably the best part of Emma for me is I love a slow buildup rom-com. And Pride and Prejudice is probably one of my, it's definitely probably my favorite Austin adaption, the one with Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. And so this reminded me a lot of that, but with a more quirky sense of humor and also a very colorful palette in terms of the visuals and like all the scenery and her wardrobes. So I love that. It was kind of whimsical. It was really lighthearted. Every character was really funny. It makes me want to read the book, even though I'm sure the book is a lot drier than that. (laughs) And so yeah, so what did you think of it? Yeah, I'm a huge Shane Austin fan. And I think she, for an author of her times, really was forward thinking in terms of how she does her box, right? Like to your point, Pride and Prejudice obviously is one of her main box that has been made into all kinds of movies. Emma actually was one that I think fewer people have read, but I actually think is like one of her later works, I want to say. Oh yeah, I read that. It was the second to last one, I believe. I think Persuasion's technically the last. That's right. Yeah, that was published after her death. Right. And I think she actually did a better job with Emma because the nuances, it's almost like a, a more, to your point, whimsical, right, version of Elizabeth from Pride and Prejudice. Is that her name in Pride and Prejudice? I can't remember anymore. Yes, yes. that's right. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a more nuanced version and it's a more lighthearted, whimsical version, but I think the story is still kind of the same and is that this is someone that is very self-assured and you know kind of a little bit quirky <laughs> for her times like you know she loves to meddle with everyone else's relationships <laughs> including people she cares about not because of any sort of bad intentions just kind of like because of what she believes to be true right and I think I always have been attracted to a storyline because you know this is someone who had the best intentions but really like screwed up a lot of people's lives <laughs> by accident in the process <laughs> yeah. no harm was fully done because you know it all works out at the end but I mean just think about like if your best friend blocked you from marrying someone that you truly fell in love with and made you think that someone that didn't like you loved you for no good reason like how would you feel you know and Mm-hmm. I think what this kind of ultimately illustrates is the ability for her to sort of grow in her understanding of what love and relationships are, right? I think at the beginning of the show, it's all about, is it the right person? Is it the right families? Is this person good enough based on what society dictates to be good in terms of a pairing? But I think what she quickly learns throughout the movie and the book really is just that, you know, there's no such thing as like sort of, you need to be the right person for the other person based on like your social standing or your ability to deliver in terms of monetary (laughs) security and whatnot, (laughs) right? What's more important is that you actually care about each other and you're able to really challenge each other and grow together at the same time, which is what she found ultimately at the end. What I really liked about the story is 
there's a lot less of that noise you get from Pride and Prejudice, which like, you know, a lot of her sisters are involved. Like, you know, there's some like really bad stories there. And it's just a little more muddy, right? In the sense that like, okay, I care about what's going on with her, but there's some other people I feel bad about sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, and like Mm -hmm. here it's like very clear and it's all just like really lighthearted and fun. So that's the story. And in terms of her acting, I actually, obviously to your point, her range is very huge and I was a huge fan, as we know, from Queen's Gambit. I actually really liked her there. But I also really liked her in a terrible movie. I don't recommend that you watch it, but it's The New Mutants, which is the movie with her as one of the mutants. And then you've got also Macy Williams as a mutant. You have a lot of stars in there, and it's a very stereotypical like movie, I think, for kids in some ways. So the storyline is a little less interesting, but she was this very rebellious kind of crazy person in there, and she did a great job with that role as well. So I think being able to sort of see her exercise such a huge range at such a young age is really impressive from my Mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah, I agree. She is very, of course, people always comment on her looks because they are so distinctive. Mm -hmm. Like she's obviously very pretty, but then there's something kind of bug-eyed quality about her. And it just like adds a dimension to that quirkiness, which I think is why she was perfectly cast in Emma and Queen's Gambit, I would argue. Yeah, and like she definitely fit the profiles for both. So it gives that unique twist to the characters, like both like physically. And then I do appreciate her range. I thought she like sort of blended very well into this uh, movie and like gave Emma the right persona, yeah. and, you know, energy level without making her annoying, even though like at times like, she, of course, could be annoying. <laughs> Exactly. Like, she made you actually like Emma despite that. Yeah, the side stories here are definitely less annoying than Pride and Prejudice because Pride and Prejudice, that's probably the worst part of that whole movie is the whole thing with the younger sister, especially, like, getting eloped or whatever happened. Yes. It does seem like Jane Austen likes that trope, I guess, of, like, the second male lead getting together with someone else randomly because that is (laughs) kind of what happens in Emma as well. And usually that person gets together with someone that you don't actually like. So in Pride and Prejudice, it was the youngest sister who's pretty annoying and then this one it was jane yeah who didn't really add much to story i actually felt for emma and that you know i didn't find her to be very likable so i could understand why there was kind of that rivalry and why she didn't like warm up to her yeah the other side characters though were fantastic i love harriet Yes. I thought she was so well acted and also really just a very like lovely and easy to root for side character as the friend. She seemed just super warm and you felt bad for her, but then you also kind of understood why she did the things she did because of Emma's prodding. And then um, Mr. Elton, I think probably because the way they portrayed him, he was so funny. (laughs) The way (laughs) Josh (laughs) O'Connor... him all of his scenes like his face and like his expressions his outfits um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean I get outfits. it he is who he is but like did, did they yeah. really have to put him in that kind of a robe like oh my god I know <laughs> and it's funny because he like marries him in the end even though you spend this whole time like building up to you know maybe not liking him and then kind of redeems I guess but yeah I really liked all the side characters I thought they were definitely a highlight to this movie and I thought the dad the dad was hilarious, especially oh, yeah. that scene with the screens about how he thinks there's like wind or something. He's like, oh, is yeah, it cold? Like wind everywhere. <laughs> Basically. There's like also these scenes you, you would like almost miss. Yeah. You know, when they're like fighting Mr. Knightley and Emma in the house and they like walk past the room and the dad's like completely covered behind two screens yes. and his head's poking out. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so hilarious they yeah they did that really well and he was very likable too (laughs) yes i loved him so much i thought they did such a great job with this movie it's just so beautifully done and they really like kind of distilled the essence of like that you know lighthearted, whimsical nature with the whole color palette and all the little like light touches you know in terms of like funny scenes that aren't supposed to be super funny but are really funny in hindsight so uh Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the music. The music mm-hmm. was really, uh, it kind of overpowered at points, but I thought it was a nice touch. It fit very well with like sort of the vibe the movie was going for. A hundred percent. I was going to say I would watch it again just because it's so pretty to see, you know. Yeah, I watched it again actually with my boyfriend, so he really liked it too. Oh, so, great. Yeah, well, he likes lighthearted, kind of quirky, funny things, so this was kind of right up his alley. I think Pride and Prejudice is a movie I would rewatch too because mm-hmm. it's also very light and like just feel good. Yeah, I love movies like that. Did you feel like it was weird, though, that she basically got together with her brother-in-law's brother? <laughs> 
right? It took me a while to figure out actually that he was the brother-in-law. I think I had to read the Wikipedia because I didn't really understand what the relationship was supposed to be. Yeah. And I was like, oh shoot, he's the brother-in-law's brother, which is why he's always visiting. Yeah. And he's actually the older brother, yeah. even though her older sister is married to the younger brother. Yeah. So I'm like, that is, that's weird. <laughs> it is weird too. Also like how they opened, right? It was like him like putting on pants or something what, at the beginning of oh, the movie. Oh yeah, it was like the brief nudity scene because you know the PG rating comes on with HBO Max and then it's like the only thing stated under it was brief nudity. I'm like, did they... <laughs> Did they need that? Because <laughs> it's like so out of the blue. Yeah, he's, he's just like getting dressed and, you know, and yeah, spent forever. And then he would walk a lot and stuff. And yeah, I think they really portrayed him as this person that's like really just there for the people and like stands for, you know, what he believes to be good and right. And even though he's not always right about everything, he, he has room to correct his own thinking, you know, and yeah, I, I do think that scene was interesting. I, I did think, like, they really tried to create this gap between the two of them at the beginning of the movie with him being so much older than her. And, like, they really tried to make a point. You know, like, I think they put in, like, comments, like, he was saying, like, oh, I, I saw you when you grew up. You know, like, basically this guy knew her yeah, when she was, like, say that. a kid. <laughs> Which was also kind of what was weird because he made, yeah, he definitely made the comment about, like, oh, when you were, like, Five Emma's years been old. this way since she was 12. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, oh, so you've, yeah, literally known her since she was 12. <laughs> and you were already, like, in your late 20s at that point, if we do the maths. I'm like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> I guess, like, there's nothing wrong with someone, like, marrying someone that much older, right? But, like, it does. Like, they really do, like, try to show you that this is unlikely to happen. Like, clearly, he's not the right person for her at the beginning mm-hmm. with that sort of, like, clear delineation between <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a very... I didn't even realize you could legally marry your brother-in-law's brother. I guess you can. I mean, there's just no reason Why you can't. Why wouldn't you be able to? It's kind of like incestuous, right? Because it's still your family. It's like your in-law. Well, but they're know. not I... blood-related. No, they're not. But there are definitely, like, rules in some societies, I think, where you can't just do that. that... Really? Yeah. Do you ever watch the... This is a t- tangent. Do you ever watch the Netflix show, The Perfect... The Big Day? About Indian weddings. Oh, I started it, actually. I watched the first episode. Was the first episode the one about the personalized weddings with the two brides doing really specific? Yeah, like the really, I mean, maybe they're all really extravagant, but they were both like tour of India as the buffet and then like the hanging sheets in one of them. Yeah, exactly. So the tour of India one with like all the like crazy setups and staging and stuff, she married, her sister's married to her husband's brother. Oh, you know what? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I didn't remember that. That's like true. doing a dance for their siblings weddings yeah okay yeah i did remember that because i was like oh that's interesting <laughs> i guess what i'm saying is like it's not so crazy i, I don't find it incestuous okay. it happens. they're two separate families <laughs> that is true i mean i don't have siblings so that's why it would obviously never in my life happen to me but um yeah that <laughs> all right that's fair okay and it's a nice way to naturally i guess create a relationship you know you're spending time together as a you know with each other mm-hmm. and stuff so yeah that's how i think about it but yeah to your point it is it is weird i mean it, the fact that they really set it up this way does really think make you think about the age gap so it mm-hmm. it is interesting i think they're so cute together they are no they're they're a really good couple they yeah. fit very well yeah so we recommend this movie correct we do <laughs> yes we highly recommend it okay shall we move on then to tenant yes I guess before we dive into it too much, I guess one thing I struggled with was like understanding what's going on <laughs> when I watched it. Yeah. So I had to rewatch certain parts of it a few times. Oh yeah, and then I fill did in too. the gaps by reading about it. I wondered if that was your experience. Yeah, definitely. I was really confused, especially by the final battle. Well, there are several <laughs> that things that confuse so me. Funny. Yeah, so, yeah. I think the car ride, mm-hmm. not so much a car ride, but the when he's chase, like, yeah. yeah, the whole thing around the car chase, like when he's going into the time right before he goes backwards in time when mm-hmm. Seder is like negotiating with mm-hmm. him. I'm still very confused by how that was pulled off because mm-hmm. you know the woman is going forward, but Seder is going back backwards you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and i'm like how can they be in the same scene together like how does he know what to do i I can't wrap my head around that and then the final battle which was by the way like an hour long (laughs) i feel like the whole second half of the movie was the final battle which i did rewatch, and i do understand it a lot better um and i watched a lot of youtube interpretations too so that helped me yeah no for sure it was definitely one of those movies that like had me thinking about for a long time after i've seen it if that makes sense 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, same. Despite all of that, I, I do think I really enjoyed it. I think what it lacks in plot, it makes up in sort of these like crazy sequencing. You know, I think this movie is all about sequencing. Like, I mean, the story doesn't really necessarily, mm-hmm. there's nothing to write home about, you know, like it's a pretty cliched kind of, what is the storyline? The storyline is this Russian oligarch has a terminal disease, is working with the future to basically terminate Earth because he can't have it. Since he'll die, no one else should have it either. Right? Like, that's basically what it is. And then, you know, you've got these agents who are basically trying to save the world. And, you know, they, they do this all in a way, you know, in a very heroic way where, like, you know, they, they don't see any credit for it because no one's going to know about a bomb that didn't go off or a disaster that didn't strike, right? And this whole idea about all the quiet sort of effort that happens to just make our day-to-day run as as well as it does, right? I mean, that story is, that is not that great of a story. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very cliche. I I agree. Yeah. But I did think that they did a really good job. I mean, Nolan spent so much time, I think, writing this story. Like, you know, there's some theories out there saying that, like, he basically came out in his mind with that last battle scene, you know, in his head and then wrote some random story around it to make a movie of it. (laughs) And I kind of buy into that because, I mean, this whole movie is like a reverse operation. What do they call it? That like... A pincer? uh, Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole movie is about that. Basically, the movie Mm -hmm. makes you understand that you actually don't know when a movie started and when a movie ended, right? That's like ultimately Mm -hmm. your big takeaway um, from a timing perspective. So I I don't know. I I liked it for the very mechanical aspects of how they made it work in that perspective. Mm -hmm. Same. I thought it was a very, very creative way to go about time travel because, of course, rather than changing times, you're actually just going backwards with time. It's like interesting. (laughs) Someone didn't really think about this in like a big way before. Um, uh, And that makes for so much of the interesting scenes and like, oh, and the scenes when people are talking backwards. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. I thought the movie had a really weak beginning. I thought that the setup was particularly particularly poor. They actually literally said the phrase like, oh, you're here to save the world in the beginning. I remember and I just remember hearing that and being like, oh, so like cheesy. And so I think the other issue I had with this movie is like the acting was kind of hit or miss. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree that Rob Pattinson had probably the best role. Yeah. And probably the best performance of this movie. I would say aside from him, I really wasn't impressed with anybody else. And you see a lot of Nolan's favorites come out, right? Like Sater is Kenneth Branagh, who's Mm -hmm. in like a bunch of his movies, including Dunkirk. And he's fine, but you also know he's like an English actor. And I kind of wish they just found maybe someone less familiar to us. He did fine though. Like he did a good, okay, to be fair, I would not know if it's a good Russian accent. (laughs) It might've been terrible, but um, it felt like convincing. um, And he was very like charismatic. And when he was angry, you know, there's a lot of passion in there, which I appreciated, but I felt like he's just too recognizable. You're like, you know, that's who he is. And then the other thing is I didn't like the Elizabeth Debicki. Oh, really? I think it was her character probably more than her acting because mm-hmm. her acting was fine, but her character was such a downer. And so oh, yeah. both my boyfriend and I like watched it and were just perpetually sort of annoyed by her because she's just constantly sort of the damsel in distress, right? So she's just the very typical sort of woman in Nolan movies who has to get rescued all the time. And then, you know, she's beautiful beautiful, blonde, gorgeous model, like quite literally. And so it also felt like you're just really playing up to, you know, Hollywood standards here. And there's, you know, I just would have liked to see somebody a little less conventionally beautiful and, you know, very, very like mainstream, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then her character was just so always unhappy, always depressed, and you're supposed to feel sorry for her, but you kind of just get sick of her because that's the only act she really has. I do realize she's playing Princess Diana in next season Mm -hmm. of The Crown, so I guess that's a good fit. (laughs) But, she's a great fit, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's perfect fit for that. And then the main character, which maybe this will be controversial because I do think some people really liked his performance, John David Washington, who we all know is related to Denzel Washington, his son. And, you know, he clearly has the potential, but I felt like he was too new because I looked at his repertoire of works. This is the first big movie he's done. I think he did like one less well-known movie, which I did not watch, so I do not know what his acting experience is, but I could very much tell that he was new mm. to acting. And that was a big deterrent to you really buying into a movie because the protagonist is the key sort of glue to the entire movie. You know, he is the one you spend the most time with. He is the one like doing everything, you know, with these characters. And I felt like I couldn't buy into like his dialogue. Yeah. I yeah, I he agree. was great in action. I think that's why, frankly, he may have been cast as well, because this is such this is probably the most action heavy of film. any of Nolan's yeah. main roles. Because if you think about the main roles in the past, nobody's had to do the level of stunts 
that mm-hmm. John David had to do mm-hmm. from the car chase to like the backwards fighting. And he did that mostly himself is what I heard in yeah. the interviews. You know, he didn't use a stunt double. Was that, That's amazing. That's great. But his dialogue, he could not sell me on I'm pretending to be like the suave gentleman mm-hmm. when he's sitting with Michael Caine, for instance, <laughs> you know, and it felt super awkward and ham handed because he just wasn't ready for that level of sort of playing on words and really having that charm to deliver good dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I think he was cast for the action, which is, again, goes back to this whole like theory that Nolan really was making this movie for the action, you know? Mm-hmm. The storyline was so weak. And to your point, the casting was interesting in the sense too, like, you know, like Elizabeth Depp. Debecky, Debecky, I think, or something. Debecky yeah. is so tall. She like yes, towered over everyone. <laughs> Like, no, none of the men are especially tall, like, they're normal height, but she is, like, right. tall plus she wore heels, so, like, every time she's in any scene with anyone, you just felt like, like, I don't really know what you think, right? Like, it just, like, and it made very oh, yeah. little sense that she was married to this Russian. That was, like, the first thing we noticed. Like, yeah. I watched it with my boyfriend and his mom, and by the way, so, in this scene when she's in the car going backwards and she uses her heel to open the door, yes. my boyfriend's mom was like, that's why they cast her, because she's the only person tall enough to do that. <laughs> So you know she is 6'3 without heels. Oh my god. So she was like almost 7 feet then the whole with her heels. Because she was, she was like, wearing like 4-inch heels. She was like probably 6'4, 6'5, right? Like which like I think that's how tall, like that's taller than Rob Pattinson without. And I, I think pretty sure Oh, she towered over them all, yeah. for your point. And Kenneth, yeah. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is not very tall. <laughs> No, they were very, it was just like visually, like you couldn't really, (laughs) she just like stood out too much. Like (laughs) a lot of this was really jarring for me. But uh, I guess the point was like, I mean, I totally hear you. I think her character was really not a well-developed character, right? Like there's very little reason as to why she did what she did in terms of like the the whole backstory of how like she screwed up with this guy and now like she doesn't get to have her kid. I won't go into the story too much, but the, the point is I think like the sequencing really was the part that I truly enjoyed and especially I really mm-hmm. loved the part with the Freeport. I think that was one of better executed ones. I mean, the battle one's a battle one. It's very complex and very like, I think, I, I definitely had to watch a battle one like two times to understand what was really happening. But the Freeport one, I thought they really did seamlessly in the sense that like, it was the right cadence, right? Like you had it playing forward and backwards at a speed, even though it's very close knit and you didn't miss a beat. You understood exactly what was happening. You could relate back to the beginning of the scene when, you know, they went in and somebody came out of that portal and that was he himself and then you like connected the dots about how neil saw him and let him go right like this whole idea that like yeah you understood okay this is how this works like, i almost feel like that was a tutorial on like how this portal works <laughs> Yeah, that was the backwards fight scene. That yeah. that was definitely the most iconic uh, when he fights himself and also when he's shooting the bullets, right? Because then you have to process why he did that. And you're like, okay, I see why he did it in the backwards moving version of mm-hmm. him because he knew his past self was going to grab the gun at the end, mm-hmm. which is backwards in his time. But anyway, so he had to empty out the bullets. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was so well done. And I think at that point of the movie, I felt like trying to understand what was happening in terms of the sequences became really rewarding because it's almost like they kind of put a carrot in front of you. It's like, okay, you saw all these things that may not have made a lot of sense, which is a lot of action, but there's more to it than just that. You're going to start seeing things that makes more sense for what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, though, I thought the scene where Seder got killed at the end was really poorly mm-hmm. executed because the timing didn't fully like tie into the battle scene. I like barely even remember it. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, I know. It was so, oh, it was so forgettable. And I mean, I didn't like anything, to be honest, with the woman in it. <laughs> So <laughs> you just like that, didn't pay attention to it. Well, because it was like also annoying because it kept flashing back and forth, yeah. right? Which I thought actually made it worse because it kept going to her, it kept going to the battle, and it's like I don't care about her at all. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just distracting from the battle because you know then she's putting on an act, and then she's just it's just so slow. Mm-hmm. Anytime you switch to them, the the whole thing was I thought yeah, yeah that very... was really jarring. Yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just felt like the battle was like such high intensity, and like I think they probably spent so much of their time working on that, right? Like setting it up, getting. Mm-hmm. Execute it correctly. Like, I can't even imagine the kind of graphic design and art and like layouts that went into sort of having the blue team and the red team like sequenced and like going in the direction they were going. Like, I don't know how like they had to reverse engineer everything right like it was really impressive Mm -hmm. but like then you kept switching to this fake deadline of like oh you know we got to do it before Seder gets killed but like literally (laughs) like whether or not he got killed like didn't really matter to the audience 
right? Like, there's really no real right. timeline in anyone's mind aside from the fact that they could, like, extract this nuclear sort of situation out of, I forget the name of whatever package they're trying to get out of the battle, but, like, people really only cared about that. So, like, I felt like they could have really used that time more wisely from um, a sequencing perspective as well. Oh, yeah. They spent too much time on that scene, and they spent, I think, a lot of dialogue yeah. scenes with the woman and Seder were too much. It's just not necessary. I think this movie, actually, the weakest parts are the dialogue mm-hmm. in general. I already talked about John David's bad dialogue mm-hmm. you know he's at least the main character you can kind of understand she had so much dialogue and so did Seder and then with each other right mm-hmm. and those were by far the worst scenes like those are the ones when I rewatch I immediately just fast forward so like, who cares <laughs> like yeah and then he's always yelling at her too so it's like another thing about like women abuse just like the whole that, dynamic yeah. Didn't sit well with me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just felt like had it actually taken more of a... Like, I understand Christopher Nolan's super cerebro and whatever, like, and maybe that's why he needed dialogue, but had he taken more of, like, a James Bond or, like, Mission Impossible approach to it, it would have yes. made for a better movie. Because you didn't really need to explain why things were happening. <laughs> Exactly. And like the scientist scene too, I thought was pretty bad. Anything expository, which I read in the reviews too, like they felt like there's too much explanation, which I agree. There's so much explanation. And some of it is fine if it's like offhand. Anything Neil says, like that was fine. You know, that was actually engaging. But then the whole scientist scene when she's like trying to train him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand the point of her character either. I felt like they were trying to make her into more than she really is. And she didn't really have screen presence. No, I didn't think either. I didn't think any of the women had much screen presence, to be honest. I think Nolan, I find his female castings to be, I guess some of them have been fine, like Marion Cotillard, I like. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think any of the ones in this movie, because they're like both blonde women, and they're both super forgettable. Is there anyone else I'm forgetting? Actually, I liked... uh, Priya was good. Shoot, what's her name? The Indian woman. Yeah, so her name in the movie is Priya. Her real name is... Oh yeah, she was actually pretty good. I liked her, but she was such a spotty like character. You only saw her for like a few minutes, you know? It's Dimple Padia. Dimple, yes. She had real presence she had like, in the presence. scenes that she showed in. Yeah. And you could tell she was an experienced actress. It makes such a huge difference. And, you know, I will say, like, this one, and I wasn't a huge fan of Interstellar, but I thought he did a better job casting for that one. I will say mm-hmm, the difference between the mood and the two is that this one's so much more sterile just from the get-go. Yes. And maybe that is why he chose a lot of the stereotypical kind of women for the roles they are. Like, the idea is maybe... You're you're not here for the story. You're here for the action. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. he's trying to say subconsciously. I'm not really sure. But the other thing I thought was like, you know, so I've been reading tons of fan theories out there and like there are two of them, right? One is bringing importance to why these women were in the movie to begin with. Like the first one is like the scientist, if there were to be a sequel, yeah, right? Like she might be the scientist that discovered. But I don't think that makes sense because th- there's a specific piece of dialogue in there where it says there's a scientist like generations from now that figures it out. Mm-hmm. That's like, true. The, um, generations. Like, yeah. So it can't be her but yes i did read that theory but maybe she traveled to the future and figured it out in the future and came uh, back maybe. <laughs> <laughs> wait but they they can't go far can in they the future. travel though they can only travel backwards yeah, and then time saying. still passes the same it's just like them. the whole movie is about forward and rewind right it's not about like yeah going past what you're humanly possible and able to do there are constraints correct. you can't go past more than your lifespan yeah actually i think is the That's yeah the so she I don't think it's so, actually possible. Okay, for her, that part like, doesn't make I sense for do. Neil, right? Because Neil came back from the future. Right. And also, like, if Neil was coming back from the future, how come? Well, I guess he's not in reverse. Like, but then, like, how much would he have to go in reverse in order to get to that point? And like, how young was he when he He'd started have to going go, this like, way? Thirty years, <laughs> or like t- at least ten so years. Since he was like a back. baby, he's been going backwards. <laughs> no, no, I think. Well, do you know what I'm he saying? He would have been going forwards. Then one can assume he was recruited maybe when he was twenty. I don't know. And then he's probably 30. And so then he goes backwards for 10 years to come back to, uh, yeah, to be when the, the protagonist is young. And uh, yeah, it, it's very difficult to interpret how that works. I don't fully believe it either. But I mean, it, it was compelling. I think that's why people liked it because yeah. it ties everything together. Well, and people have this theory that Neil is the son of Satery. Exactly. Kit Kat. Yeah. So, like, it's like. Which would, again, they have, have a relationship between all of them, but then he was so, like, cavalier towards her, too, when he was taking care of or when she got shot. Remember? I mean, he did take care of her, but it was not in a way that one would think if that's, like, your mom. You know, right. you'd be, like, a little more worried well, or a little closer. I also didn't understand why um, the protagonist was trying so hard to save her because she did very little to help the whole story. But Correct. the protagonist Same. isn't technically in love with her or anything. They're not in love with each other. So, like, what, what was the doing it for yeah what was their relationship because i 
felt like it was kind of supposed to be a love line, but then I didn't feel like they had any chemistry or like, <laughs> you know, connection together. And yet he's like going out of his way to save her. So I agree that I didn't understand either. Yeah. So, so many things about the story makes so little sense. And like, honestly, for how much they put into this movie, like how good it looked from a visual perspective and fa- fascinating everything is, like you would have thought that it would have gotten some more nominations at the Academy Awards or whatever, but they really didn't. Like a lot of it was just like the art and like special effects and like production design. Yeah, because the acting was universally terrible. <laughs> and like <laughs> That's the story not fair was to Rob like... Hansen, but yes. <laughs> okay, no, I agree. He was the only good thing about it, which I'm very excited for his Batman movie, by the way. I had no idea he was cast as Batman. Oh, apparently that was super tough. Like the Batman... Interesting. Yeah, the Batman movie was really hard to make because apparently it was like... He had COVID twice, I think. Oh, wow. Something like that when he was filming it. And it was super demanding in a uniform. So like he really had to train really hard for it. He was like getting beat up every day just to play the role wow yeah i've never thought of him as a good actor i don't think most people had to be honest until they saw him as neil because <laughs> um no have you yeah. seen the devil all the time oh no i haven't i haven't seen his little niche movies i've only seen like twilight and goblin oh Fire, there you go so. well so i wasn't <laughs> yeah, i wasn't a fan and then i mean i'm not a fan necessarily i wouldn't seek him out but i read about him after this movie because he was so surprisingly good in it apparently the breakthrough was in to your point the niche indie stuff that it was the lighthouse which was yeah, like apparently that. like his like one of his best performances and kind of marked him as like a real actor after many of the mm. interesting projects he's yeah. been. I mean, he's very talented. I, I always thought he was better than the girl in Twilight, but you don't really go to Twilight and think of <laughs> the quality acting. <laughs> so. That's true. But um, no, he's he's very convincing. I thought, you know how the girl, by the way, the scientist was also from Goblet Fire, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was, I don't know if Nolan purposely cast her because maybe Rob put in a good word or something. I don't know. I was just thinking. Because mm. she was like so random. Well, her character, her whoever, you know, who they cast, like, I don't know why they made those decisions. So I'm like, they must have just wanted to throw her in there because she's like Rob's friend or something. That's I don't know. That's a really interesting point. I mean, the Clemens whole movie. Clemens or the whole movie mm-hmm. just felt like two movies, right? Like you have the part where it's super sterile at the beginning where like the first part of the movie mm-hmm. was not great. No offense. None of it really no, tied it together. Terrible. And then it started making sense and you're like, okay, I get why the first part was there. But like at the same time, you're like, it was kind of an afterthought. It almost felt like, did, did you film the second part first and then like come up with the first part? Like- <laughs> Yeah, it felt like it was just stretched unnecessarily, especially in the first half. And then why was he in the windmill, by the way? Like, that still confuses me. Why Why do you go in the windmill? Which windmill? I remember in the beginning, he's, like, doing pull-ups in the windmill. He's, like, sleeping there for a couple days. And I'm like, why did you go in oh, the windmill? Oh, because he was on a ship. So someone told him, though, to, like, go in there to not see himself? Yeah, I think he was, like, hiding from people. Who knows? Yeah, because there was... <laughs> There was no context. No, because I rewatched it. Nobody ever tells him to go to a windmill. It's just like he's talking to the captain, whatever. You know, he learns about Tenet and then he shows up in the windmill and he's like suddenly there sleeping, you know, and you're like, who told you to do that? Or why are you doing that? And then he gets out randomly too and finds a ship, you know, to, yeah, that that did not make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, he's a protagonist. He gets to do what he wants. (laughs) Oh, and uh, the last thing that bothered me was he supposedly gets all his teeth taken out right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then he supposedly wakes up and they're all medicated put back in you you can't recover from that in like two days which is what the timeline of this movie is because the north because remember the opera Mm -hmm. happens during the fight Mm -hmm. which means it's literally like days before he goes on the ship yeah which i'm like you you need months to recover from that it's just like a huge plot point yeah it made no sense because i'm like your mouth would be like falling apart (laughs) i mean i feel like with any nolan films you just have to suspend your disbelief and like anything rational and practical but then there's like (laughs) He does some things really well, like he's so detail-oriented on some stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, really clearly thinks it out. And then sometimes it's like these huge logic misses, which happened with Interstellar too. Yeah. I know this is getting on a tangent, but okay, Interstellar, you know what really, really frustrated me? As cool as that planet was with the waves, I'm like, these people, these supposed scientists were like on crack or something because like, how could you not have realized with the time difference that the woman who was sending you the signals could not possibly have landed? Like that should have been something you figured out before you tried to go on the planet it's like oh hey yeah the gravitational time like slows everything out you know so like oh technically she couldn't have made it because it's only been seven years 
like you know it's like come on you're a fucking scientist it's just like why and then also why would you ever start with that planet because if that planet's gonna cost you like 20 years if it doesn't work out you should definitely start with the other two planets because you're gonna waste fuel as they did right sitting there waiting even if you didn't get stuck in a wave pool so I'm just like again very good attention to detail hiring physicists you know clearly thinking through it and then huge gaps of logic yeah. <laughs> so okay it's, it's a big frustration Inter- uh, not interstellar but I think Inception was the only one that kind of balanced this better but that's Inception why I think Inception is also is the one that like literally is closest to reality like it's probably the most on Nolan work right like he mm-hmm. did not like I almost feel like for a lot of these a lot of these movies he's like leaving these little like nuggets where it doesn't make sense for people to pick at and like for his fan base to like theorize around he didn't leave a lot of that for Inception I guess Mm -hmm. but which is why it tied the most closely together and I think that's why I liked it a lot better yeah that that makes sense yeah it was a good movie that one Mm -hmm. was great yeah anyway all right so move on okay (laughs) yeah Okay, uh, let's talk about Vincenzo quickly, yeah. because we know that's been a very popular series on Netflix. Is um, it? Unfortunately, both of us... Are you serious? Uh, well, maybe it's not, but I, I feel like it's the one I hear a lot of hype about, besides Sisyphus, which mm. I have not started. But the problem is, okay, both of us dropped it. BB after episode one, me after, I think, episodes five or six, I can't remember. But both of us dropped it, I think, for very similar reasons, mm. and it's still, like, really, really disappointing to me, just, like, what could have been with Vincenzo and what instead we were given and all the setup and hype and the promos and everything that looks so good because we I love Song Joon Ki I don't know if uh, what you think of him but you know he's obviously very attractive and he's like a pretty good actor he's not like the best but he's certainly talented yeah what do you think yeah no I like I said I, I well so <laughs> this is bad I mean so you know my husband doesn't watch Korean dramas and you know I don't watch that much anymore and point is like you know we're watching a lot of shows together now because we don't have a ton of time to watch things together so i really tried mm-hmm. to get him to like korean drama again and i thought this would be a good candidate and so i had him watch this with me which was like a terrible mistake because i think he's never gonna watch anything with me ever again oh my god i did the same with mark no i had mark watch it with me too and he lasted probably through like episode two mm. and then he was like it's so boring <laughs> like and literally like i think like to your point like they did such a good job promoting it, the marketing and the money that went into it right like tvn is a great a great network in general they i've not seen a lot of things from them that i really disliked and this is definitely one of them after the first five minutes of the setup where you're like this guy's like super awesome and like he really knows what he's doing he's like really badass doesn't care he goes to korea and then it just drags like i'm like what am i watching so what am i watching right <laughs> It changes tones so quick because you think you're going to watch the next Godfather or something, right. you know, high, super high stakes, like really good movie. budget quality right. with some foreign actors, which like I heard actually the Italian actors, like they, they were pretty good compared to the average, like, you know, English speaking actor that yeah. they get in these dramas. But, you know, they felt like there was real tension and it's like, okay, I get it. He's on this plot, whatever. And he hopefully will come back and like destroy his stepbrother or whatever, you know, that person was. And then all of a sudden he gets in Korea and first of all, he gets robbed mm-hmm. by like a taxi. Driver, yeah that's right that happened which was like kind of the start of the downhill and at first i couldn't believe it because i was like wait no but he's such a badass he's so smart like how could that happen is he gonna get revenge you know and then no he actually just gets robbed and then that's the last you kind of hear of that plot point yeah and then he shows up in this the dumpster house apartment whatever building that he's trying to steal gold from under and it becomes <laughs> like storyline you by the way what is that <laughs> yeah i know right the <laughs> There's gold stashed underneath this building. Oh, God. I know, right? And then it becomes like your usual, unfortunately, like K-drama clown car of side characters and annoying neighbors who you don't care about and who think they're funny but are really not very funny and mostly just waste time (laughs) and it's like him visiting and seeing all of them and it's very cringy it's cringy and it's boring and on top of that I was like oh god please do not make this gold fucking plotline go the entire series and at least as of episode 5 I think that is actually what happens my guess is he spends the whole series trying to get this gold and probably in the end decides he's too good to get the gold you know or it gets destroyed that's my theory i haven't actually read what happens oh gosh (laughs) i can't yeah that is too bad yeah 
I, I'm not spending an extra minute washing this. I like felt no, no, so no, do bad. not. Yeah, because it doesn't get better. That's why I stayed on so long because I was like, okay, maybe at some point I will grow to care more and I will actually like him. The other thing for me, I don't know how much you saw of the female lead, but she is very, very annoying. <laughs> I saw a little bit and I did not like. I wasn't impressed. I guess is you know the right way. Yeah, I was ready to give her a chance because I will say she's very well dressed and she's chic, but like what K drama actress is not, you know? But her acting it's the combination of the acting and the character because i think they try to make her a foil to vincenzo who's very cool and calm and collected she's sort of the exact opposite she's raging angry in every single scene she's really loud and obnoxious and then the actress kind of takes it a step up and it's just all in all very unpalatable and i also don't really feel chemistry between them it's fine you know you could see them together you know they're gonna end up together so you kind of have to see it but like it's nothing to like write home about and it's actually like I actually found myself being like oh I kind of don't want them to start like falling for each other because it's so cheesy at that point and I don't feel their connection at all and you know it's just like awkward when you start seeing these like oh slow falling scenes and like he catches her and you know and <laughs> that <laughs> so is it's, too and bad. there's definitely that yeah. yeah well that's too bad I, I guess what it teaches us is that just having a big budget and the right network doesn't necessarily translate into a good series Yeah, and same with the writing. It's like, you know, this writer was very famous for having written Chief Kim, which I will say I did not like for kind of the exact same reasons. It was very draggy. I don't know why it was popular in Korea. I think maybe Korean tastes are just very, very different (laughs) to what I find interesting. But So that's why I think she was able to command such a high budget and star for this. But it's not the best writing in my opinion it's a lot of filler um it's you know it's probably in any given episode there's like 10 minutes of real action oh, and God. that is nice you know that's the same sort of cgi kind of stuff you saw with the italian thing not not quite to that level of extravagance maybe like a couple steps below but still like a lot of explosions mm-hmm. a lot of kind of interesting scenes but that's like 10 minutes an episode at the very most and often you have to wait a couple episodes before you get something that satisfying and in between you're going from side character to side character you're like overly spending time on the banter, which the banter's not even that good. It's not that clever. I don't feel, you know, the chemistry. There's so many things kind of just sucking for this drama. And, you know, after the Mr. Queen experience, you know, I do not, I do not spend time, (laughs) as much time at least, on these dramas that like you kind of just feel are going nowhere while you're watching it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then the the last thing is, okay, so you know Taekyung's the second male lead, and he's also supposed to be like the big evil in this drama, which the big evil, it's a company called Babel, Mm -hmm. which Koreans love their biblical references so you know it's you know named after of course Babel in the well actually they don't really explain it but I assume that's why it's Babel in the Bible so it's like this monster company that apparently operates evilly in every single subsidiary that they do and so the story very quickly turns into oh he's gonna go around and uh, like he no longer is trying to get that gold or the only way he can get the gold is if he takes down Babel so he's gonna start with Babel Pharma and then he's gonna go to Babel Chemicals and then he's gonna go to like whatever next which I didn't get too but like Babel real estate (laughs) and they're like all corrupt Babel pharma was basically like they're about to start the next opioid crisis in Korea they're manufacturing opioids and they're gonna get people addicted and (laughs) and then um like the Babel chemicals here is what you're saying Oh, exactly. It was a straight copy paste of that. Okay, Babel Chemicals is giving every single worker cancer. Oh, so no. We're, so we're gonna, we have all these workers that somehow got cancer. And by the way, this company, because they're so powerful, they just managed to bribe all the doctors. And so nobody knows. It's like, and then, of course, Vincenzo is also told by the female lead that he's not going to kill anybody anymore. So he's only going to battle with wits and, <laughs> and the, the legal force. So all that's going to happen is now they're going to they're going to combine their lawyer experience and build cases against Babel. And like, that is terrible. I it's so bad. There is such a thing as packing too many things into like one series. I mean, this is certainly guilty of that. Like exactly, it felt like they just ran out of ideas. So they were like, okay, what's the easiest way we can drag this story for twenty episodes? You know, let's give him sort of some sort of you know minor motivation. He needs the gold, and then let's just make it as complicated as we can and like over convoluted, and then drag it out the whole series. And then you know, it's not an interesting conflict. Um, and then oh, sorry, back to the second male lead, Taekyung is the guy who plays him and he's a terrible 
person to pick for a villain, in my opinion. I think he is probably the worst actor you could possibly pick because he's such a noticeable, like, we all recognize him. We know he's a former idol. He looks like a former <laughs> idol. He tries to play, like, menacing and threatening, and it just is very unconvincing. And maybe that's, again, my connotations with him, but I feel like I can tell he's acting. He was never a good actor to begin with, is the other thing. It's not like Taekyung was some brilliant actor, you know? He was just kind of this overhyped idol who managed to get into, like, big roles. But he's never been a great actor. He's very, very stiff. And so to try to make him the person who's behind this huge enterprise and he is the big villain and he's going to be the one that Song Joong-ki has to go against, you know, at some point. I'm like, it's it's a joke. It's like, how could you put Song Joong-ki against Taekyung and expect us to, you know, because it's not even, again, going into tangent, but the Tower of Babel drama, not to be confused with Babel. <laughs> in this story. That story has Kim Ji-hoon as the villain, who, by the way, was also the villain in Flower of Evil. They should have cast someone like Kim Ji-hoon, because Kim Ji-hoon is terrifying when he wants to be. Like, he is legit. He scares the crap out of me. In Flower of Evil, he was so scary. He was, like, the best thing about it. They needed somebody like that, but instead they cast Tokyo. <laughs> like, it's such, it's so bad. So you can't take any of it seriously. You're just like, this, this whole drama's a joke. That's really just too bad. I mean, yeah. I'm sure other people like it but obviously it did not find an audience with you or me so no. here we are definitely not watching yeah. it <laughs> yeah definitely be glad do you want to go then to i was going to talk about wandavision okay so wandavision is something that we picked up obviously it came highly recommended it's i think it's polarizing right like there are people who are not sure that they liked what it did because it was pretty experimental it was the first marvel cinematic universes tv series and basically mm-hmm. it picks up after infinity war which was the 2015 marvel uh, sorry mm-hmm. it was infinity sorry and game sorry the 2019 okay the 2019 movie and they were in infinity war but picks up after Endgame, and basically you got elizabeth olsen and paul bentney who are wanda and vision from that movie reprising their roles in this sort of in this show and what i really liked about it and spoiler alert janet if you ever want to check it out is how they set it up it's like basically it's not marvel like at the beginning if that makes sense like basically they set it up with a sitcom kind of sort of beginning and what they did it's it's a it's a limited series so it's only nine episodes every episode you only go you go through like a decade or two right so like it starts in the 50s and it's in black and white and then like everything is like kind of weird in the sense that like okay like you've got Wanda and Vision who have superpowers and you know Vision has got his face that's you know obviously red and all that and he could change his face into a human face and they live in this town but they don't really remember anything don't know why they're there (laughs) And then they have his boss over for dinner, but everything's a little bit strange. Like, you know, his boss almost chokes. And like, anyway, so like there's all these little things that you start picking up. It's like, you you think you're watching a sitcom actually, like for the first 20 minutes and they're 30 minute Mm -hmm. episodes are really short. And then like Mm -hmm. slowly, like you start getting like color, you know, by the second episode, you start getting some colors. You hear these weird noises. And then like by the third episode, you get full colors. And then, you know, they have these twins. Anyway, like basically it's about the two of them who love each other building a family right as you may remember vision dies at the end of endgame so it's this idea that he came mm-hmm. back and you know like the biggest question in any marvel fans of mine is like how did he come back and then of course and then the, the sort of story reveals itself to you slowly, like kind of like unpeeling the onion. Like, you know, in the meantime, you have someone actually from Sword who is played by Tayona Paris. She is uh, this woman who basically her mom was friends with Captain Marvel. If you watch that movie, you know, in terms of like the pilot. I haven't watched anything oh, for reference since after, <laughs> since after the second Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, oh, which was I... so terrible that I dropped the whole Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to Marvel watch scenes. the big ones. What I really like about Marvel MCU stuff is I really do like like the small, not small movies. They're not small, but like the one person at a time. Like Captain Marvel is only yeah. about Carol Danvers. And then you've got like, you know, WandaVision, which is only about Wanda and Vision, really, in the context of everything. And like you start caring about it more because when you have like the whole package, like what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? It's harder to sort of relate to right. everyone's trials and tribulations. Point is like, it's really cool because it like kind of takes these like creative licenses by experimenting with different sort of like forms in a sitcom kind of format. And then they like then like kind of tap into this like basically Wanda's built this like universe where like it's hidden from like plain sight in a town where Vision bought them a plot of land before he died. And then this kind of like mm. this whole story is about how like she grows and finds out about what 
which she did, which is like she basically held whole town hostage to play in the sitcom that she arranges in her head. And then basically then like mm. she reprises this like kind of like, you know, you recognize that she is the Scarlet Witch, which is like one of the most powerful MCU sort of characters. But anyway, like there's a lot of like sort of storylines that, you know, unless you follow Marvel, like you don't really care, like think about. But like even for someone like my husband doesn't really watch Marvel movies and he really enjoyed it because just for what it is, like it was unstereotypical and, and, you know, they really kind of drew people in with the way they set it up. And then you got invested in the characters before the story unfolded with all the superpowers and fighting and like, you know, all the things that they can do because they're superheroes. And you do start really like rooting for them in a very specific way and ultimately what it taught people is like at the end you know this Wanda person kind of had to learn you know what she had to give up and you know what love means in terms of you know she basically ultimately has to give up vision in order to sort of restore peace to this town of innocent people and you know it's through that story that I really felt the human connection that they were able to sort of instill in these superhero characters so like I was pleasantly surprised I think what I really liked about it is the cinematic format they took and also just the, the ability for them to actually instill like a storyline that like kept it interesting but also kept you guessing and really al- allowed you to become invested in the characters uh, even for someone who doesn't watch MCU movies. Mm-hmm. I like the the sitcom evolution. That's actually very clever and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that uh, sounds really interesting. The other thing they did that, you know, again, only if you're a Marvel fan would you know, like is that, you know how for every Marvel movie when you go see it in the theater, like after they finish the credits start rolling, nobody leaves. I don't know if you noticed this. And that is because Mm. like usually in the credits, there's like a mid credit or end of credit scene that tells you what's going to happen in the next movie or like something that might happen in the future. So I like literally, Mm. and it was like seven minutes of credits because they had like these very beautiful sort of like graphic design in their like, you know, end credit scenes and stuff. I like kept waiting for it and it didn't happen for the first six episodes because apparently Marvel only started doing these mid credit scenes in the 2000s. And that's when episode seven happens. So only starting Mm. in episode seven do you actually get what you're used to from marvel (laughs) oh wow oh wow that's really cool yeah that's so clever yeah (laughs) and it's one of those things like if you didn't watch it and you watch the next episode like you would actually be missing critical information you Mm. actually do have to watch it for the story to make sense so like it it is one of those things that was i thought it was really cool that they did all that to to be super consistent with everything Mm -hmm. No problem. Yeah, I canceled my Disney Plus. So that's I think we talked about it in our streaming episode. Mm-hmm. So I might get it back again. But I think we we're talking about I just don't think there's enough content there for me. Yeah, they're doing, they're rolling out tons of Marvel stuff. So like, if you're willing to reprise your Marvel MCU stuff, like, that nah, might be I have other stuff to watch. <laughs> I can barely watch the HBO movies. I mean, I'm going through the MonsterVerse movies now. Mm. <laughs> per nice. Godzilla Kong. That's right. That's right. That one's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I mean, those aren't great per se, but there's only like four of them. So it's pretty easy to do. And I mean, you don't watch them for logic. You watch them for the big entertainment uh, monsters. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The graphics and art and visual effects. Yeah, the Marvel stuff. Okay, so what what always frustrated me about Marvel, and I guess this is true for any sort of sci-fi, but especially the Marvel movies, is Age of Ultron had it the worst. There's really no logic to Mm -mm. any of the powers or to any of like the abilities, right? Because Age of Ultron, I think the reason, again, it sort of broke my relationship with Marvel was because I know how much you remember of it. First of all, it's just like random crap the whole time. It's just like random, random plot, random, random, you know, villains. And then at the end, they have that scene where they're on like this floating piece of land. I don't know why it was floating, but then suddenly there's like a bus floating and then they realize later that, oh, everything's about to break apart. It's gonna be terrible. And then they like figure out some magic ability in the end to like save it. And I can't even remember what it is, but I remember it was like, it made no sense. It was like, oh, conveniently, we now have this magic power to fix everything so it is all good you know (laughs) i can't watch that stuff because i'm like if you're going to give me sci-fi you have to give me logic and i think that's why i like nolan movies because and that's why i get frustrated again with his breaks of logic because i feel like i am someone who to really get into a story and to like respect the story frankly it has to make sense to me and it has to be somewhat feasible right has to really suck you and be like oh i'm not just watching like what people wrote you know on a bs page while they're like smoking you know i'm watching something that is very logical and like oh maybe that is you know it just yeah well i will say like this one is probably the closest you'll get to logic out of most okay most of the that's good i will say captain marvel was great there are some other ones like earth ones like you know ant-man or whatever that's just kind of silly and stupid 
Oh, yeah, those look stupid. They, like, straight up look dumb, Yeah, I think you will like Captain Marvel. This one's great. This one does get very more MCU in the last two, two and a half episodes. So I think you wouldn't like that necessarily because the logic does fall apart. Probably (laughs) not. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But the first few, I think you might like because the the way they executed it was really well done. Um, And Elizabeth Olsen and Pop Batney are just great actors and actresses. Like, I mean, they really, they did Mm -hmm. a great job bringing these characters to life, you know, and I... I really appreciated that. So interesting. It's not for everyone. I think she's in Godzilla, by the way, because I was watching Godzilla. I think Elizabeth Olsen's in that. She as is the so wife. impressive. Um, like, I mean, think about like her sisters. You know, like she she really like kind of. I mean, at this point. Wait, so I'm trying to figure out who is she? Is she related to Mary Kate and Ashley? Yeah, she's one of their sisters. Oh, she's not a twin, okay. but she's a sister. Yeah. Okay, I was confused because I thought originally she was one of the twins, and I was like, wait, she's not, and then I just... Okay. She's younger. That makes sense then. Yeah, yeah, she's a younger sister. Yes, that makes sense why she's younger, and she kind of looks like them, but doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say she's better at acting. Um, I think she okay, is. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, Godzilla didn't really give her much to do, to be honest, so um, yeah, that's she just not much to say there. She just like, but... a damsel in distress. Is that what, what her character yeah, was? Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically. I mean, she. I guess she was better than the guy who played her husband. I mean, you don't, again, watch MonsterVerse for the humans, so. That's true. I need to watch that movie. Just watch Godzilla Kong, because I feel like Godzilla, I have not watched the other Godzilla King of Titans and uh, Kong Skull Island. Godzilla is too much dialogue and world setting, mm. which I think is always a problem with the first ones. Mm. Whereas Godzilla Kong, it, it doesn't even like try to make sense, which I think is maybe why it's okay with me because it, it just doesn't even pretend like there's any logic to anything. It's just like, okay, we're just gonna like go crazy. Everything's crazy and everything makes no sense. And that's fine. And you should see, I don't know if I showed you Elon's tweets on it, but he's got some great tweets about like, you know, how most meth smoked in the writer's room, which <laughs> I agree. <laughs> But it's so absurd that it's like actually kind of fun to watch, yeah. you know, and which I think I think Marvel tries to take itself too seriously. That's why I don't like it. because well, It's like they're so mopey all of a sudden and everything's so like sad. And it's like, OK, but you're like making shit up like this doesn't, make, well, the thing doesn't matter. I've always liked about Marvel is how the heroes have all like if you start getting invested in characters like I have been, I guess, like the heroes all have. Like, they have a moral compass, right? Like, that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Like, you do learn some life lessons from each of them, even if they're, like, stupid life lessons. (laughs) I don't know. I personally, like, yeah. I watched everything to Otron, so I, I didn't not enjoy like the first Thor and like the first three Iron Mans. I think I watched. You and like then... the Iron Mans, right? Like, I mean, you care about. I didn't like them. Oh. I thought they were better. I, okay, to me, I've never really liked everything, but I found it very watchable. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a difference because it's like it's not something I'm like crying to rewatch, but it is something that I was entertained by when it aired. I was maybe annoyed at parts, but not to the degree that I was with Ultron. Mm-hmm. So all in all, it was like I could sit through it but I had kind of the same issues with it. Certainly the second Iron Man, I think, you know, when he like fights his buddy. It's like all these scenes like that make no sense. There's a lot of suspense of disbelief. Yeah, I think I'm just not a Marvel person, I think. (laughs) And so I probably should not spend too much more time watching it because I don't think I'm going to be like less of a hater, I think is the problem. (laughs) Did you you watch Doctor Strange with Benedict Cumberbatch? No, I didn't. Okay. Is that one good? That one did seem promising. I think you like it better than some of the other ones, maybe. I, I do think, knowing what you like, like, I, I do think you probably will like Captain Marvel the most out of the ones that... Interesting. Yeah. Okay, it sounded like a Wonder Woman to me, and I, I have to say, so I did watch... Wonder Woman half of the was first, good, the first one. The second one. I thought it was okay. The second one was I had the same washable. problems with it. Yeah, okay. I'm like, you cannot convince me that in World War One that this woman from outer space or what, you know, from this island just, like, comes and, like, can dodge bullets and, like, save the entire army. Because I'm like, we would not have sexism if that happened, you know? And that's just like kind of demeaning to all women to be like this woman is just such but that's the whole point of the mcu (laughs) suspend your disbelief about but it's like a joke it's yeah no, but I can't because I'm like, that didn't happen. That just did not happen. If that happened, like, again, we would, it just tries to overshadow all that. And it's like, oh, wouldn't this be nice, you know, if this woman, I'm like, but this woman did not exist. And this did not, this is like, there's no even like probability of her existing, you know, because it's so absurd. It's like, yeah, if a woman could like dodge bullets while she's being fired at by the Germans and like save the entire world, you know, like, of course, like that would be amazing. But there was no woman. <laughs> like, 
I actually found it pretty insulting to like mm. watch. I so I think I stopped at like the scene where she's like in the you know whatever the the places where the soldiers are hiding and being shot at. She's like this is this is ridiculous. This, you can't. Okay, I got you. I got you. I don't think you like Marvel yeah, yeah. movies. That that makes sense. It's not for everyone. Like I feel like Mar- MCU is super polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. There's really no in between, right? Like I think I'm too much of a realist for it. I think that's the problem. Yeah. I think if <laughs> yeah yeah if I could not care as much, you know, about the logic stuff, I I think I could get into it. But yeah, I'd probably watch Black Widow. You you liked Black Widow or sorry? I would maybe watch it because that looks interesting. Yeah, and it's obviously taken right. forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I mean, I hear you. I I think, like, for me, it's, like, kind of... For me, it's, like, okay, if you have a 12-year-old daughter, right? Like, do Mm -hmm. you want her to rationally think through whether or not women like Wonder Woman existed in World War II? Do you want her to believe something like this could be possible? And I think what the MCV does is, like, gives you... I don't know if I, that this I would could be want possible. No, I think I'd rather just she understand history and understand it sucks, and that's why she has to stand up for women because it sucked and we've been repressed like entire centuries. Because <laughs> you you have to, you can't be like, oh, no power woman is gonna pull you out when you're in trouble. That's not gonna happen, you know? Yeah. And also, by the way, you should not try to be that power woman and start running into like bullets because that's not gonna end well. You know, it's just there's no. I don't know. I, okay. <laughs> I. I, <laughs> I <laughs> I did like, to be fair, okay, the superhero movies I do like are obviously The Batman Begins. Not the last Batman, but The Batman Begins and the second one, Dark Knight. You like um, DC because, again, comics, they... you do not like MCU. I get it. Well, I didn't like DC, but Wonder Woman's DC. No, Wonder Justice Woman League. is... Wonder Woman's definitely DC. I used to be a superhero nerd, actually, when I was young. I did watch all the old Supermans and all the old Captain Americas, and I'm, I'm actually pretty well-informed in my uh, superhero space, I will say. When I was young, to be fair, I did enjoy these movies a lot, and I think if I were, like, 12, I would absolutely enjoy the Marvel series, but as it is, I'm too jaded. The other thing I did like is um, The Incredible Hulk. Not, you know, there's, like, several of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that has Edward Norton. The, the 2008 a good one. one. Which actually pissed me off that they didn't bring him back to be Hulk because I do not like Mark Ruffalo. Mm. I think that was another side problem I had with Marvel. And then the fact that they tried to make him get together with Black Widow mm. in the second or whatever yeah, movie. I was like, that's not... That was weird. That does not exist in Hulk's world. That is that is not Hulk. You know, that's like some personification imitation Hulk. But Hulk does not do that. Hulk knows who he loves and Hulk is also played by Edward Norton. He is not Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. No, I hear you. There's definitely some challenges in terms of like how they've recast it, some of these characters. Yeah. yeah. I hear I hear, I hear you. I, I got you. That makes sense. <laughs> so I think the the story is one of vision might not be for everyone, but if you're willing to give it a shot, it's a low time way of checking it out for something that mm-hmm. might be interesting or might might be infuriating for you. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> okay, well, I think that was it for this week. We will have to come back next time with more C dramas, K dramas, all of that, more TV shows as well. Or thanks everyone for listening, and please see our contact information in the description. And we will talk to you in next week. Bye. Bye.